morning, even as we were in the prayer room, just praying for you, just believing for, for you to experience everything that, that God has for you this morning. And uh, it's in His presence. It's, it's Him. It's not, it's not what happens in the service. It's just we do this to help you connect with Him. We study His Word to help you understand His uh, voice for you. And so this morning, if you're here, uh, you get to hear it right away. Uh, if you're listening online, you're possibly hearing an edited, edited version, version where they took out all the stuff I wasn't supposed to say. Uh, and so thanks to Chris for doing that. He makes me sound good. Uh, appreciate that. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Mike and Trey, two guys I met this week uh, who had mentioned they listen online. So shout out to you fellas. Uh, I'm glad that uh, people take the opportunity to, uh, to listen online as well. And so if, you're, if you haven't been here in a while, uh, we're halfway through a series that Gary started two weeks ago and it's called Guardrails. It's a series, it's not a series that we came up with. It's actually a series by Andy Stanley and it's based on this idea of a, of a guardrail. Uh, you've seen them. You probably didn't notice them on your way here this morning. They're, they're all around us. They're all in, uh, you know, along the roads you traveled, but you, you probably didn't notice them very, uh, you probably didn't notice any of them on the way here unless you hit one, you know, and the, then, 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 you, then you see them. And uh, you probably don't know the definition of a guardrail unless you've been here the last couple of weeks because we really don't look that up. It's not like that's a super exciting thing everyone wants to know. Uh, but just in case you do, here's what it is. It's, it's a system designed to keep vehicles from uh, straying uh, into dangerous or off-limit areas. That's what a guardrail's for. If you didn't know that, now, now you do. You learned something in church this morning. That's, that's what a guardrail's for. It's a, it's a system designed to keep us from straying, and it, uh, it can cause a, it'll cause a minor accident if you hit it, but it's designed to keep you from a major accident that's probably just on the other side of that guardrail. Last week, uh, or a couple weeks ago, Gary brought in his guardrail, uh, the one that he, uh, his daughter lovingly um, destroyed. Uh, that... That guardrail protected uh, his daughter from, from a serious accident, but the vehicle didn't uh, survive it. But it was, it was still thankful for the guardrail that it, the, the damage was minor. And so when we, we talked about the, this series, the idea was that there's dangerous areas in our life all over the place, not just in our vehicles. There's dangerous things relationally. You know, you, you get into a confrontation with your boss and you're just like, man, I just wish that I'd had a guardrail that didn't let me get so angry because now I'm looking for a new job, you know? Or in your marriage, you're just like, you know, if only we had had a guardrail that would have helped us not to, uh, not to, to, to take everything out on one another. You know, if there was something that could have just slowed us down that, hey, I'm reaching the boiling point, I probably should back it off a little bit. You know, maybe our marriage would be in a different place. Or, you know, maybe it's um, financially like, oh, if only there'd been a guardrail. If I just hadn't, you know, got that fourth visa, I, mean, I probably wouldn't be in the trouble I'm in this morning. And so we said it'd be good to have some personal guardrails. Personal means you get to decide for you. It's not us deciding for you, you deciding for you. And here's what we said the, the, uh, the definition of a personal guardrail is. It's a personal standard of behavior that becomes a matter of conscience for you. It's this thing that all of a sudden you feel uncomfortable when you get close to that guardrail that you designed. And, and as a result, it kind of it lights up inside of you so that you, you get away from the, from the danger. And why do we, say, why do we even want to avoid danger at all? Because a lot of those places seem really, really fun. You know, if I could just spend, man, that's fun. You know, if I can, if I can date whoever, oh, that's just fun. It's this word regret we talked about last week. And in the light of all the, the danger around me, how can I avoid regret? Because most of us don't love talking about those times where we say, oh, I wish I hadn't when I was 18. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't been there. Or, or thinking, you know, man, I wish that I had done something different. I wish that I had lived differently back then. 
Those are the things that we're attempting to avoid in the next five years, uh, ten years of our life. And so this morning is kind of like a, a practical type of uh, uh, talk for you. Um, there's a guy in the, in, the, in the Bible, his name was James. He was the brother of Jesus, the actual brother of Jesus. He didn't, he didn't follow Jesus uh, until he didn't follow Jesus ever while Jesus was alive. Uh, it was after his brother died, and he's like, oh, my brother thinks he's God, and maybe you have a sibling like that, and you're just like, yeah, I know, I, I don't believe he's God. There's no way he's God. He just keeps claiming he's God. He's got this following. My brother's like crazy. And, and then all of a sudden, he sees his brother die on a cross, and he thinks it's, you know, that's what happens to crazy people. And then a few days later, he sees his brother alive. What would your brother have to do to prove that he's God? Well, this was enough for James. And James realized, okay, he is who he says he is. And what he told us is true. I believe it. Nobody can do that. And here's what James wrote to other Jesus followers. People who were saying, yeah, I believe that he's God. They either saw him alive or were convinced that he was, that he had raised from the dead. This is what he wrote to them. It's real practical stuff. He said, don't just listen to God's word. Don't just listen. And when he's talking about God's word, he's saying, don't just listen to that voice of God speaking. Don't just listen to the voice of Jesus. And our hope this morning is, as if we're talking today, as I'm speaking, that if there's a, there's a voice on the inside, something grabs you here. You're like, heart pounding, palms sweating. When is it over? I got to get out of here. That, that voice? That you would do something about that voice this morning. That you wouldn't just hear it and be, okay, no, I heard it and leave. Here's what James said. He says, you, who? You and you, yeah, us, we must do what it says. We must, we must do what it says. Otherwise, we only fool ourselves. See, it says, if you listen to the word, if you hear that voice and you don't obey it, it's like glancing at yourself in a mirror. You see yourself, you walk away, and you forget what you look like. It'd be like you waking up this morning, go and look at the mirror, and like, oh, I got egg on my beard, huh? You know, I didn't have egg for breakfast this morning. Oh, it was yesterday, you know, and you like, you say, oh, well, uh, and just, you know, I'm just going to church. Let me just check, make sure everybody looked in the mirror this morning. You did, right? You did. And when you looked in the mirror, you actually saw something. You're like, I probably got to fix that. Some of you like combed hair. Some of you shaved whatever was there off. Some of you like put on the makeup, whatever. You did something to fix what you saw. And that's what he says. When, you, when that voice comes in here and says, hey, this is what's really going on. He says, do something to fix what, what, you, what you see. Don't just, don't just hear it and walk away. Because he says in verse 25, if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says, you, uh, and don't forget what you've heard, God will bless you for doing it. He says there will be this change that happens. And so this guardrail series, as we talked about uh, doing this series, we realized that it's not just a series that, hey, for five weeks, oh, it's, it was fun, and it was kind of all lined up with one another. There's no guarantee that it affects your life in any way unless you do something with it. And so we, we said that we need guardrails in the dangerous areas of our life, and there are different kinds. There's Gary's guardrail here. Uh, you've seen other ones like in the picture. Last week, we talked about me hitting pylons with my big truck. Uh, that was, um, you can listen to that online. Uh, but maybe, maybe for you, are you familiar with the rumble strips? You know, you're driving, all of a sudden, you're like, right? It's, and then you just veer over, and some places, they have them in the center, too, because they want to make sure that you stay between the rumble strips. That's kind of the idea this morning that maybe as, as you're listening to this, there's a, like a rumble strip on the inside that goes off and it says, you're not in trouble yet. Well, the rumble strip says, you're not in trouble yet. Yet. 
If you, if, you, if you do something now, you're not in trouble yet. The rumble strip is not, it's not, you're not in trouble, but one thing leads to another is what we've talked about. And so our hope is that you put up a guardrail in, a safe, in the safe zone, in the, where that one thing, you know that that one thing keeps leading you to another and to another and to another. That at some point you say, this is, this is where it stops. This is where it's got to stop because if I don't stop here, I'm destined for, for danger. Paul wrote to Ephesians, and this is a verse we looked at the last couple of weeks. It says this, be, be very careful then how you live. Be very careful then how you live. Why is he writing that? You know, and as, as with, with my kids, um, my son uh, uh, Lincoln, he, just, he loves to drive stuff. And we have a side-by-side. Uh, it's not ours. It's my in-laws. You know, they bought that. You can carry 15 Dutch kids in the back and a few in the front and drive all over the property. And, and so, you know, you're supposed to be a certain age to drive it. But Link's just like, I don't want to drive it. I want to drive it. And so I was like, okay, there were some kids in the back. And I'm sitting with him. And I'm like, Link, okay, you need to be very, very careful as you drive this because there's an incredible uh, potential for danger with this machine. Be very, very careful. Well, my two nieces, Savannah and Cassidy, were in the back and they heard that. And all of a sudden in the back, they're like, yeah, Link, be very, very careful. And I'm like, I don't sound like that, you know, but to them, they're like, yeah, be very, very careful. And then, uh, then I thought, you know, okay, fine. And then Link's like, you know, feeling a little sheepish because his older cousins are like making, sort of making fun of their dad. And it's like, whatever. But then it didn't stop there. Then after like, you know, we're going into the house later on about to open the door, like watch out for that door. Be very, very careful. I'm like, Okay, you know, and, and so the whole day, I'm just like, they're, they're like, everywhere they could, they're egging each other on, just make sure I was very, very careful about everything I did. And then, you know, a couple of weeks later, we go to Great Wolf Lodge, and we're there, and I'm getting up on the water slide, and I hear from down below, hey, Uncle Mark, be very, very careful. I'm like, come on, we're in public here, right? And, and, and my hope for you this morning is that maybe that's the sound that you hear in your voice, be very, very, it's annoying, but you... Remember, it's like when you go on the rides at, at the fairs, they're like, keep your hands in the vehicle. I'm like, I know, it's not my first time on a ride. It's this annoying thing. But Paul's saying, hey, listen, be very, very careful because you are in a spot that is potentially dangerous. And he says, so be careful how you live, how you do life. Don't be unwise, but be wise. Make the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Because you only have one chance to live. <laughs> you only got one shot at this thing. So be very careful. Don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And then he gave a one guardrail, which we talked about earlier. Don't get drunk on wine. It leads to something. It's, it's not in itself. It's not wrong, but it leads to stuff. So make sure there's a guardrail somewhere. And so last week, we talked about friends and acquaintances. This week, we want to talk about friends with benefits. So this is one thing, an area of life that, is, that is, can be extremely, extremely uh, dangerous, extremely, extremely harmful. And our hope is that we would be able to help you. If you're married here, that we'd help you set up some guardrails that protect your marriage. If you're not married, we hope to help you set up some guardrails that protect your future marriage. And if you're like, I'm not married and I'm not planning to get married, we're here to help set up guardrails for you to protect you from married people. All right? So that is, that's kind of our goal this morning. And so uh, we want to look at this word right here, fidelity. Fidelity is a word we don't really use too often, and maybe we're unfamiliar with its definition. But fidelity is something, you know, that you want. If you're in a relationship with someone, you hope that they, that they have this word as part of their character, that they're faithful or that they're loyal. You know, you're not like, ah, I'm going to marry somebody, and we didn't promise, you know, I promise to love you for better. Well, you're rich and hot, but if anything goes wrong, I'm out of here. 
No, that's not what you want. You want somebody who's like, I'm going to be there, you know, through it all. Uh, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be loyal. And, and so this is something we kind of all hope for. But our culture does not help us at all when it comes to this in relationships. It actually does the exact opposite. It, it, it attacks that all the time. If it's something that we'd say, yeah, we probably all want that in a relationship, culture doesn't help us very much. And here's something I saw this week online. Uh, there's this photo that was taken over a week ago. This is Taft Point. Taft Point's a pretty famous place, but uh, actually hundreds of people go here to this, thousands actually, to this place, and hundreds of couples have either gotten engaged there, done their wedding photos there, because it's just an amazing, amazing background. And so this picture went viral last week because this couple, standing 3,000 feet above the river below, were, uh, were getting engaged right there. And there was a guy, a, a photographer, who took the picture, and he posted, and he said, help me find this, these people. Who are these people? I want to give them this photo that I took for them. And it's amazing what people will do for love, right? To, to just go to the edge of the cliff for love. And so thousands and thousands and thousands of shares of this photo to hopefully find this particular couple who uh, was professing their love on the edge of a cliff. Well, a couple of days ago, there was another couple in the very same location, and they fell, both of them, to their death. Same thing. You know, and actually this year, they're number nine and ten this year who've fallen from that point. And you know, they said in the, in the article, Taft Point is an incredibly popular place where thousands of people come, and it actually has very few guardrails. And I was like, isn't that interesting? See, because I think that picture really describes sex and sexuality in our, um, in our culture in, in a great way. That it's super popular, that everybody's thinking about it, one interested in it, but there's, so, there's very few guardrails in our culture to actually protect us when it comes to this. And so I promised last week that this isn't going to be G-rated, so if you haven't had a talk with any of your children and they happen to be in the room or listening online, you have your 30 seconds to do something about that. <laughs> Great. All right, so because... Part of the problem with this whole idea of our culture not setting up guardrails, we, we actually, each of us, can tend to be part of the problem. If we're honest, you know, some of the stuff we entertain ourselves with, a lot of it actually, the music we listen to, the books we read, the movies we watch, they all, there's so many that glorify sex outside of marriage. It's like, you know, that's kind of our entertainment. We hear it all the time, you know, it's, but in our heads we think, well, we're not going to do anything, you know. Yeah, I got a little Monica by my side, you know, whatever. It's like, yeah, they sing about all these different girls, but, I, you know, some of you are like, yeah, that's what I would do, right? My, some of my nephews, but, you know, but most of you are like, you're like, no, that's not what I would do. That's not, that's not kind of my thing, but, but, but then when it happens, you know, you watch movies, you see affairs, you see that's kind of humorous and whatever, and then when it happens to a friend or a family member, you're just like, what? You know, how, how could you? How could you cheat? And, and it's this thing of people kind of freaking out because it's like, it's like you, you weren't supposed to actually do that. How could you do that? It's like culture baits you and baits you and baits you, and then when you kind of fall over the cliff, they, they shame you. You know, our culture says things like, ah, oh, boys will be boys. Anybody heard that? Oh, yeah, you know, oh, you know, those guys in college, oh, it's boys will be boys. Guys on the sports team, boys will be boys. Ann Voskamp, a really great writer, said this. She said, ah, when boys will be boys, girls will be garbage. When we let boys be boys, then girls will be garbage. And it's true. So often we just excuse behavior saying, ah, it's just, you know, boys being boys. Somebody suffers. Someone gets hurt. Ultimately, someone gets hurt. 
And so, you know, we think about it and we say, you know, why are we talking about this today? Because the thought is if we could get this one thing right, it would change everything. If we could get this thing of sex and sexuality right, it, it would change everything. I know that's an ideal. I know that's like, oh, that's it's not possible. But if this community or this town, it would change everything. There would be, you know, less domestic violence. There'd be less poverty, actually. There'd be less kids in our foster care system. There'd be less children growing up without a mom or a dad in our house if we could get this one thing right. And so this morning, you know, uh, we, I don't think we have to look too far. Every one of us knows someone or we were raised by someone. Maybe we are someone who, said, who would say, you know, my life would be different today if I had had a guardrail in that area 5, 10, 15 years ago. We all know someone who could say, if I had a guardrail, it would be different. And so the question today is, if you were God, what would you say about this? Like, if I was God, hmm. You know, my buddy asked him the question, you know, you know we were ch- chatting about the Old Testament. He's like, well, if I were God, I would have had six floods because those people annoyed me more than the first ones, you know. And he said the Boston Red Sox would win the World Series. I'm like, well, good thing he's not God, right? They just might. But, you know, if he were God, that's how life would be. But if you were God, what would life look like? And if you were God, what would you say or what would you inspire people to write about this topic of sex? What would you, what would you say? What would you inspire them uh, to say and, and uh would it be, hey, you know, well, just wait until you're ready. Is that what you think you would say? You know, and Gary shared it in, the, in week one, you know. You, you can't tell people, hey, just wait until you're ready. You tell any teenage boy that, and they're like, I was born ready. You know, like, wait until you're ready is not a guardrail. You know, or saying, do whatever you want as long as no one gets hurt. And all they hear is, do whatever I want. Okay, uh, that's not a guardrail. There's nothing in there to stop people from either hurting themselves or hurting others. And so what do you think God would say about this? Well, it's interesting that God, who invites each and every one of us into relationship with him, not God way out there somewhere with his clipboard of like, these are sins, and if you do it, I'm going to get you. It's God who says, hey, I want you to call me Father. Like, I, I, and not Father, like for some might think, but a perfect Father. What do you think a perfect parent would say to their child about this topic? It's interesting that we have the opportunity to read what he inspired a man named Paul to write. Paul was a man who became a Jesus follower later in life, so passionate about it. He started these gatherings of Jesus followers. We sort of call them churches, but that's what they were, these gatherings of Jesus followers all around the Mediterranean. He moved from one place to another, and then he would write letters back to the places he had been. And here's one of those letters, and it's in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can follow along uh, and read along with us. It's pretty, pretty incredible to have something from 2,000 years ago that just says, here's what, here's, what, uh, here's what God would think of sex and sexuality. And here's, here's how it starts, verse 18. He says, flee, flee from sexual immorality. And you're like, I knew it. You know, God hates sex. I just knew it. You know, it's like, here's the thing, flee. And before you freak out and think, oh, that's so old school. That's so irrelevant. Mark, that's not possible in our culture. You know, let me just ask you this question. You think, oh, God, you're somewhere way out there with this thought. But isn't this what every um, husband would hope that their wife would do? Isn't this what every wife would actually hope their husband would do? Isn't it what every parent would hope for their child, every father for their daughter, every mom for their son that I would wish for my son, any brother that would say, you know, for their sister, I <laughs> flee from sexual immorality. You know, we would, we would all think that way, I, I would guess. And it's, 
It's this thought of saying, hey, be very, very careful in this area is what Paul is saying. He's saying flee, you know, run away from sexual immorality. Our culture encourages us to do the opposite. Flirt with it, flirt with it, flirt with it, flirt with it, and hope you don't go over the edge. And Paul says, no, he says, you, you want to you run away from that because you flirt with it long enough, it hurts you. Flirt to get hurt. You know, Paul, he's saying, you know, he's saying this, oh, flee from sexual immorality. He doesn't say flee from sex. It's not God saying that, you know, Paul's saying God's a prude. He doesn't, he doesn't approve of sex, you know, uh, any of that kind of, any of that. We actually believe God invented it. I don't really know how, you know, he's sitting in heaven with the angels, and he's like, whoa, I just had a thought. And the angel's like, what? He's like, uh, you're not going to understand, but just watch this, you know. You guys are going to be jealous. This is like, this, is, this was never happened before, and now it is. And he says, this is an incredible gift I'm going to give to humans. It's an incredible, powerful gift that he says, you know, I'm going to give it to you, but it comes with some guidelines. It's an incredible, incredible thing with guidelines. Um, when my son Lincoln was uh, five, he wanted a jackknife. He found these jackknives in my, in my office, and he's like, Dad, can I have one? I'm like, no, you're five, you know. And he's like, but he, would ne- he wouldn't stop. He's just asking and asking. So I'm like, okay, I'll let you have a jackknife, but I need you to understand a few things. You have to always cut away from you, and don't use it on other people, including your brothers. And he's like, okay, Dad, no problem, no problem. Not five minutes later, he comes back with a cut on his finger. I'm like, son, I got to take that away from you because you're not ready for that yet. You don't know how to handle that yet. It, it requires some. You can have it when you're six, seven, you know, and, and uh, come back then. Well, sure enough, he came back then, and we let him have it again. And then one day, you know, somebody was messing with stuff in his room. He's like, don't mess with that. I have a jackknife. I'm like, okay, we got to take that away again, right? This is, this is stuff. He's like, it's, it comes with some incredible responsibility. And so Paul is saying to them, hey, listen, be very, very careful. The same way I said to my son, I don't want you to hurt you and I don't want you to hurt others. Paul's saying the same thing. Flee sexual immorality. I don't want you to hurt you and I don't want you to hurt others. He says, he carries on, he says, because all other sins a person commits are outside the body. He says, and he's talking about sex, he's like, you know, all other sins, because there's, he, he puts this one in a category of its own. And maybe you're here in the first, you know, your first time at church, and you're like, I didn't know they talked about stuff like this. Yeah, it's a good day to be here, eh? Um, you know, it's, he says all other sins, all, all other sins are in a different category because sexual sin, uniquely, it's uniquely damaging to us. It's uniquely damaging. Um, are you forgiven for sexual sin? Yeah. Can you fully escape the consequences of it? Never. Never. It follows you around. It's like the damage is done. It, and the thing with sexual sin is it undermines your future. Is what Paul is, he ends up saying to them. It undermines future intimacy, future relationships, even future generations. He says it's so powerful that it affects where you're headed. You're like, well, how does that happen? How does it happen? Um, you know, uh, for parents, I've seen even with future generations where I've talked to some parents and I was saying, you know, you should encourage your children to wait until marriage. And they're like, ah, you know, and they sheepishly tell you, well, you know what? I didn't wait till I was married. So how can I ask my kids to wait? I'm like, huh? You didn't walk up to the fridge this morning, grab the milk, put it in your cereal, and like, oh, that's rotten. Okay, I'll put it back in the fridge. And your kid's about to take it. And I'm not going to warn them. You know, I took the milk, so I guess they got to take it too. <laughs> and yeah, we won't do with something so, so important. And that's how the cycle goes. And for some, it's this thing where I just see the benefit of mentorship, of saying older men teaching younger, because you know what? It happens in generations even more subtly because so many kids are being raised in homes without an example. They don't see how a mom and a dad, how a husband and a wife treat one another when it comes to this. And all they've got for their example is media, music, and the books they read. And they're like, 
I don't know what to, I don't know what to do with this. And they try and find their way. Man, with a generation coming up behind us, to be that example of, of men and explaining and teaching young men how to treat women, how to respect women, because our culture won't. You know, to teach young women to, to, to value themselves, because our, our culture won't. Something so, so powerful. Sexual sin, it, it's different in the fact that it'll, it'll make you a liar and a secret keeper for life. It's different from other sins. You know, you'll admit to the DUI you had because you got your license back now. You'll admit to the bankruptcy you went through because, you know, you're financially stable now. But so few will admit to the sexual sin that's in their past. Why? Because it, it, it's like we feel like it's us. It weighs on us. You know, it's, it's heartbreaking to see and hear. And I've had this conversation with some where their spouses, you know, they, they told part of their sexual history before they got married. And then the bomb gets dropped after. And they're like, how, how come you never told me? Because we don't just go around and just like tell everyone what's going on right here. It's because it's different than others. It's so powerful. It requires a guardrail, something our culture won't do. Paul knew this 2,000 years ago, which might be pretty amazing, but I don't really think it is. You know, we don't really need the Bible to tell us. We don't need Paul to tell us because we all know. We all know it to be true. And people move on from other things, but that one just seems to hang around. So here's what he says in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Like, okay, what is sin sexually? As a youth pastor, I got this asked all the time. You know, in my relationships, you know, Mark, how far is too far? You know, how much can I do and still go to heaven? (laughs) That's not... That's not what Paul is talking about. When Jesus introduced the New Testament ethic, in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of rules. You can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. And Jesus said, you know what? Forget all the can't do's of all of this. Let me give you one thing you can do. Love one another the way that I have loved you. What's sin, when we think of sin, is like, is God keeping the Ten Commandments and watching am I keeping them? He's not. He's saying, listen, if you, if you hurt someone, if you steal from someone, if you dishonor someone, that's sinning against that person. That's what sin. He says, if you're if you're sinning, you're you're sinning against these people. And it's like a, a God, a perfect parent who loves people, is going to care about what happens to his kids. It's like me. If you if you mess with my kids and then you come and think we're good, we're not good. <laughs> and it's the same with God. If you mess with his kids and then think, oh, I just come and worship, you're not good. You're not good with him. And he says in this in this area, he's saying, listen. Don't sin against, these, against other people with this incredible thing. Don't steal from them. Don't, don't hurt them. Don't rob from them. Don't dishonor them. And so for Christians this morning, for the Jesus followers, because I know there's some of you here this morning, you're, you're not Jesus followers. But for those of you who say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus, you know, for, for most of us, we know the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, that's kind of the golden rule. But Jesus is like, that's not, that's not my rule. Mine's, mine's higher than that. The platinum rule is what Andy calls it. Do unto others as God through Christ has already done for you. Do unto others as Christ has already done for you. Love others the way that he loves you. Because he says this, you know, when you commit sexual sin, you sin against yourself. You sin against your own body. And he's like, I don't want you to get hurt. A loving parent saying, I can't not say something about this because it's so potentially damaging. He says, when you sin sexually, it's like you're, you're betraying yourself. I found this, this picture of a man cutting off the limb of a branch that he's sitting on. And this is what he's saying. This is what sexual sin is like. You actually are hurting yourself. Oh, but it's so fun. Yeah, but you're hurting yourself and hurting others in the process. 
He says, you're betraying yourself. If you've ever been betrayed by someone, it's a sucky feeling. He says, why would you do that to you? He says, you, you don't realize that in all the feelings and, and, and the euphoria of sex, he says, this, there's, there's something deeper going on. And so then Paul's, and I shouldn't say sex, sexual sin, sex outside of marriage. And then Paul says, you know, as we can picture him as he's writing this, maybe he thinks, hmm, I wonder if they forgot what I told them. Or maybe there's people who didn't hear. Let me remind them. And so he says this in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19. He says, do, do you not know? Do you not know? Meaning, they maybe don't know. And if they knew what I'm about to tell them, they probably would treat others differently in the realms of sex and sexuality if they knew. He says, don't, don't you know? And he says it to us too. Don't, don't you know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who's in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. So I put a bunch of those things in yellow because here's what Paul is saying to them. He's saying, if you're a Jesus follower, don't you know that you're a temple? You're a temple. We think of temples, we don't really think much of that. You know, temples, were in, when they thought of temples, they thought, man, that picture of a temple, that's a sacred place. Nothing sacred in our culture. You know, before it used to be, if you went to church, you entered that door, you better be in a suit and tie and your Sunday best. There shall be no running in the church. No smiling either. Saw that. Saw that. Right? It was like sacred buildings. You know, we don't have sacred buildings, but what Paul is saying to them, saying, listen, you're the sacred building. Every person you see is sacred. You need to treat them with respect. You need to treat them differently. He says, don't, don't you realize that? That you were designed and fine-tuned for intimacy? There's something so unique about you. You are not just mammals like on the Discovery Channel. For those old enough to remember that song. You and others are incredibly unique and valuable. And Paul then takes, instead of saying, hey, listen, uh, this is not about consequences. Because we, we really, we know that consequences are not a great deterrent from actions. We hope they would be, but they're not. We know people are like, oh, this is going to hurt. Let's do it. That, that consequence thing, he's like, that's not, he says, we all know that. He says, but do you not know this i got a few pictures to help you see this. Do you not know? He says, it's not about consequences. This is about identity. Do you not know how valuable you really are? He says, don't you realize how valuable you are? He says, you, you, the Holy Spirit lives in you. And it's like a, buying a bottle of perfume. You know, if you want to buy Chanel number no. 5 for your wife for Christmas this year, that bottle will cost you $1,850. For that bottle, that glass bottle I could buy for 3 bucks at the dollar store. Why is that bottle so expensive? Well, this one's only 975 because it's half full. But this, why is it that expensive? It's because of what's in it. And he says, it's the same thing for you. You are incredibly valuable because of who's in you. You have the Spirit of God living inside of you. That's what makes you valuable. Well, you don't know the family that came. It doesn't matter. You've got the Spirit of God living in you. That determines value. He says, you know, and you're not your own because ownership determines value as well. You know, if you wanted to buy this 2014 Fender Stratocaster guitar, uh, this guitar, you could buy it used somewhere between the prices of $2,500 and $6,000 on, on eBay and Amazon right now or from Kijiji. You could buy it for somewhere in that range uh, of price. But there's one of these guitars that sold just recently for $42,500. Want to know why? Because it belonged to Eric Clapton. $42,500. Why? It's the same. Why would anybody pay that much for a guitar that's the same as every other one? Because of whose it is. And he says the same thing. You're not your own. Like, I'm an adult. I'm my own. 
It's actually better that you're not your own because your value just increased when you become his. And then he says this, you've been bought at a price. Value is determined by what someone will pay for something. You know, this Ming vase, this Ming vase uh, in 2012, this sold for $1.3 million. Oh, I know. People are like, what? That, why? Why would anybody pay that much for something? But that's the value of it. But you know where this Ming vase was for decades before it was on the auction block? It was actually sitting on a block of wood as a doorstop in a home in New York. For decades, the family had no idea what this thing was, and it was there where the door gets slammed on it, where the stinky shoes and stinky socks are all left. That's where the cat pees. That's where this, this Ming vase was. And yet it's worth $1.3 million. You know the truth of that is? Some of you feel like that sometimes. The shame is like you just feel like you're the one who's always there where the door gets slammed on you, where you're the one who's not worth anything, where you're, where you're the one who's not worthless. And he says, you know, you're a Ming vase worth more. You're worth the blood of my son. You're worth the life of my son. And so Paul says to them, as we kind of wrap this one up, in light of the selfishness of sexual sin, in light of that, in light of the fact that you are incredibly valuable, and so are the others around you, and in light of the fact that you've been designed for intimacy, not just sex, in, in, in physically, he says, honor God with your bodies. That's the New Testament ethic. What's too far? What's, he says, honor God with your body. You know, every person deserves honor and respect, not because of who they are, but because of whose image they bear. They bear the image of God. They've been made in his image. Jesus once had a man come up to him and said, hey, you know, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus knew he was tricking him. He said, you know what? Give me a coin. And so as he said, I don't want, I, why am I giving you a coin? I don't even want to pay taxes. He's like, doesn't mean just see the coin. And hands him a coin. He says to him, whose image is on the coin? And he says, the image is Caesar's. And he says, and Jesus says to him, knowing the whole crowd is like, are we going to pay taxes or not? He says, listen, give to Caesar what Caesar's, give to God what is God's. And the man walked away like, oh, he got me again. But what he should have done, he should have asked another question. He should have asked him saying, what do you, okay, give to Caesar what is Caesar's because his image is on the coin, but what do you mean give to God what is God's? And you know what Jesus would have said? Whose image is on you? Whose image is on you? Because each and every person around you bears the image of God. We are made in the image of God. That in itself is extremely valuable. And, he, and Paul's saying to them, hey, do you not know? If you knew the value of you, and if you knew the value of every person you stand eyeball to eyeball with, you'd probably treat them differently. You'd probably treat them differently. And so as James suggested that we would do something with what we heard, this morning, we want to give you a quick suggestion of a few guardrails that maybe you could use. And maybe you're like sitting here this morning like, I hated all of that. Okay, you don't have to listen to the next three minutes. But I would encourage you to go home and set, sit down and think about you and your future in light of your future family, your future intimacy, what you would like to do. You don't have to take these ones, but here's, here's some suggestions. A bunch of them for married people, for sure. Number one guardrail you can set up is simply talk to your spouse about it. Talk to your spouse about what you and her are okay with with uh, members of the opposite sex. Are you okay with your spouse driving together with them? Are you okay with them eating out together with them? Are you okay? What are you okay with? Because you need to have this, these conversations. So you say, listen, we're going to set up a guardrail for our marriage, for our fidelity. Second guardrail is the Billy Graham rule. He decided when he first was a young man, he says, I'll never drive alone with a woman. I'll never eat alone with a woman. Why? Because those are places that create intimacy. He said, I, I won't ever do that. It created lots of 
conflict for him. It was a rule that, that a, a guard rule that I took up when I became a youth pastor. So I'm never going to drive any of these um, young girls uh, by, by themselves ever. And it created some awkward conversations. Because I remember one time there was a girl, it was 10 o'clock at night, her parents forgot her at youth. It was me and one of the other helpers and her. And she's like, uh, can you give me a ride home? I'm like, no. She's like, seriously? I'm like, yep. I would rather wake up your parents and have them come get you and wait here till midnight with this other person and you than to drive you home. Because it wasn't that driving her home was anything wrong, but it's a guardrail for me and my conscience goes off. I, 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 can't, I can't do this. It wasn't that anything wrong had happened yet, but I don't have any regrets. And I know too many people who nothing even happened, but what was said was enough to destroy their reputation. Simply saying, uh, it's a guardrail. You know, another thing, if it has to happen... If any of those things have to happen, tell your spouse about it. If you've got guardrails and you've got to go against the guardrail, just call them up and say, hey, hon, you know what? There's something that, that I've got to drive with this person from here to there. You know, or I've, my boss is taking me out to lunch. I know it's kind of against our guardrail, so I'm here. I'm just letting you know, keeping things on the up and up. It's a little bit of minimal damage as a guardrail, but it protects from major damage. Another thought, don't counsel people of the opposite sex is a good guardrail to have, unless you're a counselor, and most of you aren't. You know, and most of you, I'd say, don't counsel because you're probably going to give them bad advice. And they do need help, but they don't need you. They need somebody. So refer them to somebody who can counsel them. And, and, and here's, here's another one. When you feel your heart drifting towards someone who is off limits, whether, that's, whether you're single, married, or whatever, if you feel your heart drifting to someone, tell someone about that. Tell someone. You know, it's like, maybe don't tell your spouse. But tell someone. Why? Because when you speak it out, it diffuses that. And for some, it's not even, it's not even people you know. For some, it's like uh, the power of pornography is being drawn to these images of people that are off limits. And when you tell someone, I've seen the power of telling someone break that in people's lives over and over again. Would you tell someone? Like, Mark, these things, the, these are simply guardrails that help protect you before you get hurt or before you hurt others. Like, they're kind of extreme, don't you think? Well, Extreme and dangerous environments require extreme measures. But it's not, it's not up to us. It's, it's not up to me. It's up to you. And I just want to leave with these couple questions. Do you value fidelity in relationships? Do you value it? If you don't, no guardrails needed. I'll just date anyone. It doesn't matter. Whatever happens. If they leave me, oh, well, no problem. Do you value it? And if you do, it requires guardrails to help you get there. And here's another question. Who else is going to help you set up guardrails? Who else in our culture, where in our culture does anyone else help set up guardrails? You might not have liked what you heard this morning, but the church is probably one of the few places that's actually going to encourage you to, to keep those things of saying, I want fidelity, faithfulness, and loyalty in my relationships. And my last question, do you think you're ever going to regret the fact that you set up a guardrail in this area? Five years from now, you're like, ugh, wish I hadn't done that five years ago. Wish I'd had the chance to cheat on my wife. That would have been like so much better. Nah, you're never going to regret the fact that you set up a guardrail, so why not do it? Why not do it? You got two options this morning, flee or flirt. Flee or flirt. When it comes to this area of sex and sexuality, flee or, or flirt. Flee honors God. It honors, it honors you. It honors family. It honors others. It honors your future, but it requires some guardrails. And one final thought this morning. Because I know that this affects so many people, and for so many, there's so much shame tied to it. And as you sat here today, every, every minute, you're just like, when's it over? i got to get out of here. And I know we ran late, and I apologize for that. Sorry, kids ministry people. 
But for, for those who are just like, man, you know what? I just, it's just all the shame. It's, I hate hearing about it. I hate talking about it because it's all it brings back. Can I tell you something? That if you're not a Jesus follower, he's saying to you, you know what? You don't have to carry that anymore. You don't have to carry that. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. It's why I gave my life that you might be able to be set free that you might be able to get out of that prison, throw off that shame, that you can be forgiven, and, and that walking together with me, there's, it's going to be different. You can allow and just let all of that stuff go. And for those of you who are Jesus followers, the message is the same. You can just let all of that stuff go. You are the Ming vase. You are not what culture, society, or even your mind tells you you are. You are the Ming vase. And you know, if you live under the shame all you see is the ground. And it's like the thing is, it's all you head in the downward cycle. But if you see who you really are and who he's called you to be, you keep your eyes on him, you walk away from him and leave it all behind. That is on the table for you this morning. And that's an incredible gift. Can we pray? Father, thank you for this morning. I'm thankful for your word, even as much as it messes with us sometimes. Thankful that you have our good in mind. Thank you that you allow us to be your kids and call you our father and that we have a chance to have that kind of relationship with you. We don't always understand it, but we trust that you are good. God, that your goodness is what you desire for us. So this morning, I just pray for people who have been prompted. They've heard your voice inside this morning, not my words, but your voice. God, would you give them courage to do something about that, to set up guardrails that maybe our culture mocks them for, but that they'll be applauded for down the road in eternity. And Jesus, thank you for making right where we went wrong. Thank you that we don't have to make it all up or make it all better, but that you washed it away. And for those, those of us this morning who just needed that, thank you, thank you, thank you for that in our lives. We love you. Thank you for loving us first. Go in your name. Amen.